Coming up next, we're in the middle of one of my favorite weeks of the year. The NBA draft is coming. It is a special two-part edition of the Bill Simmons podcast on this Tuesday. 11 guests. So many topics. I can't wait. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what it, what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. New rewatchables. We pushed it to Wednesday. It's coming Wednesday night. Chris Ryan and I, we did the Untouchables, 35th anniversary, a classic. Can't wait to talk about it. So if you missed the rewatchables, go check that out. There's also going to be a new prestige TV podcast on Wednesday. Me and Sean Fantasy and Joanna Robinson are going to talk about The Old Man, a show that I absolutely love. So stay tuned for that. Coming up on this podcast is a special two-parter, getting ready for Thursday night, one of my favorite nights of the year. Part one, we're going to talk to Kevin Clark, Kevin O'Connor, Raheem Palmer, John Jastrzemski, and Big Waz. I have 11 burning questions in all spread over two parts. We're going to tackle the first five next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. Kevin Clark from The Ringer is here. Diehard Orlando Magic fan. He was on Kevin O'Connor's podcast recently with Steve Cerruti talking about what he wanted the Magic to do. There's been some drama. We're taping this. It is 12.45 Pacific time. There's been a little drama, Kevin Clark. Uh, Paolo's, Paolo's odds are dropping. Yeah, I. this is very strange. I have a question. You follow this more closely than I do. Is, is the betting market predictive? Like, have we had late? Because I've never. I feel like when I watch, when I when I follow the NFL draft through this, and they say, "Oh, the odds are dropping," like it never really means anything. I, I would very seriously doubt this is anything but a little bit of noise. It might be a rumor, and then people just feeling like there's a ton of value. But we are going to do. I I until it drops to like dead even with Jabari, then we'll know yeah. like something really funky is going on because you know there's a lot of people that work for an organization very easy for word to truck around. So we're going to assume that it's just a little noise, just people trying to grab some value. 
We're doing burning questions here today on the pod. Your burning question is, what should the Orlando Magic do with the first pick in the draft? What do you want they them should, to do and what should sure. they do? They should do two things. Um, they should reach out and see if they can get the second pick in the draft and, and still take Chet Holmgren. If that is not possible, because it sounds like OKC wants Chet, um, so let's just investigate it. But if that's not possible, then I would take Chet Holmgren with the first overall pick. That is my overwhelming desire. That's what they should do. That's what I want them to do. Um, I think the conversation about this draft has gotten a little bit out of whack over the past couple of weeks where people have said, okay, well, there's not a generational prospect. This isn't like a franchise-saving draft. But on the other hand, in the same breath, people will say, oh, by the way, Chet has some of the best defensive instincts I've ever seen. He's seven foot. He has a great handle. He, can, he has a mid-range game you haven't seen yet. He can shoot the three. Um, obviously, 195 pounds worries me. I don't need him to show up like Bryson DeChambeau like in, in the first week of the season. Like We're going to be fine. Wendell Carter can take some of the, the, the tough matchups early on in his career, take the pressure off him a little bit. This is not blood sport. We don't have to enter him into single combat here. Um, so he can take some time. The Magic have no expectations for this year. Uh, at this point, you know, KOC had asked Saruti and I over the weekend if we'd be disappointed if it was Jabari. And at that, at that point, I had talked myself into Jabari being a decent selection. Um, at this point, I, I've watched so much of Chet. Now, again, you have to watch the, the YouTube stuff. They can get you they can get you high on anybody. But when I watch Chet, I see a guy who has so much potential that I'm I'm getting worried that we may not pick him. Do you like my weird body Al Horford analogy? <laughs> I do. I do like it. I I, I think it's it, I think it's it's pretty good. I mean, as as we've talked about, you know, it was funny because I heard you make the same comment on Sunday night with Rosillo that the Sharks had made in May about how Chet is Anytime, and Kyle Mann made, made the same point, anytime someone is sort of the, on, on the cutting edge of what the, where the game is going, there's no comp for them. Um, and, and the comp that they made at that point was uh, you know, someone like Luca, where you, can't, you kind of have to put everything in, in a little bit of a melting pot and say shades of this, shades of this, and you end up getting four guys who have nothing in common with each other. And so, I, yeah, I mean, the, the Al Horford thing fits, but I think that you're just looking at a little bit of, of, a, of a different guy, somebody we've never really seen before. And I know that, that this is, it's the kind of thing, we, we say at Nauseam, any, any guy who's over 6'7", now would go, ah, if he was born in 1970, be a totally different guy. But like, this is it, man. This is what happens if you're 20 years old in 2022 and you're legit seven foot is you can kind of do it all. This is the modern game summed up into one person, Bill. The funny thing with this pick for Orlando is you have the pedigree of Richard Lewis 2.0 and Jabari. You had Richard yeah. Lewis. He's a much better version of him. And then Chet, just tall, lanky, weird, can't define him. He's clearly something. There's no comps. It feels like you've taken that guy six, seven times. And then Paolo really does a lot of the same stuff that Franz was doing for you as a rookie, right? He's yeah. a, a tall guy who can create off the ball. He's a forward. He can play both positions. Um, and he's just a really skilled offensive player. Do you feel like Paolo and Franz could play together? Does that make sense to you in your head? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think that, um, you know, it was interesting. Sarudin and I talked about this over the weekend, but I, I, I do think that they, they can fit. Franz had to do so many different things last year. And at one point, 
he was basically just doing it all. At one point when Markel came back, um, he became he, he touched the ball a lot less and had to, to morph into those ways. I think that he's probably a better player when, when the offense runs through him a little bit more, as we saw. I mean, there were times last year, I, I talked about this all the time, I went to a game at the Barclays Center, and it was him and four Lakewood Magic players because of COVID. Like, that was it last year. And sometimes it was just him and four bad players. It wasn't even COVID-related. It was just him on the floor with a bunch of crappy players. Um, so I think they they could work together. Um, you know, Paolo's passing is really good. Um, and to be honest with you, dude, like fit is one of the last things on my mind right now. Like the only way that the Magic propel themselves forward is to get a franchise changing superstar. And I'm I'm willing to 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 bet that any of these guys can can work it out. You know, I've heard the argument that um, Jabari would help the backcourt because there's not enough shooting. Like I I, I really don't care about that necessarily i really don't care about the i i love this current roster and i love the fact that they do have guys who if there was a superstar would probably be in the mix to have to be you know third fourth fifth best players in a legitimate contender um but i'm i'm looking for superstar potential in this draft and i i, I do think paolo and franz could play together but i i don't really want to find out frankly the magic have i don't know if you knew this but a little bit of a macabre Macabre, 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 macabre history. Chris Weber, I've noticed had him traded him. Shaq, yeah, greatest for Penny pick. Hardaway. Well, I'm just saying, you yeah. had Chris Weber, you traded it for Penny Hardaway three first. You had Shaq, but you really only had him for what was that four or five years. You had Dwight Howard, yep. which was the right pick and a great pick, but he ended up leaving eight years later. Um, what is? Who is the one out of these three guys that you feel like, I don't know if I can trust him. I've been hurt before. I could see that person leaving us and us being yeah. bitter about it later. Yeah, so p- part of the the Chet thing to me is that he fits in with Suggs already. And I, you know, listen, Suggs did not really blow my socks off in, in his rookie year, but I think that he's still a culture guy. He's still going to be a piece of it. And they, they've known each other for a long time. They're still friends. Chet was in his, uh, his interview yesterday talking about how he still seeks guidance from, from Suggs. So... I think that helps kind of building that community and basically turning over the franchise to those guys and saying, this is yours. You can't leave. Um, so you feel like Chet would be loyal. I, so you're I think Chet. so. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, anybody's liable to leave Orlando. Okay. Like Dwight said he was never going to leave. <laughs> and then he left. I don't. The one thing I'll say is that I don't have the scars that you think I would have about those things. I mean, like, yes, Shaq left. Yes. Penny left. Dwight left, certainly. But while they were there, they made the finals, both of them, um, in 95 and 2009. And I think that there are teams like the Kings, like the Hawks, the damn Hornets, who would beg for that kind of success over the last 20 years. And so I don't really have a, a negative pang when I think about the first overall pick. I think it's always sort of suggested a bit of a franchise renaissance. Like the entire franchise changes if we only get Shaq and we don't get Penny. Um, if we never get Dwight Howard and we end up with a Mecca Okafor in that draft, for instance. Um, so I don't really have a negative feeling about this. Um, and so, listen, like, I, I think in the modern NBA, like, Giannis is going to stay in Milwaukee for a long, long time. I think that the way things have changed, and this is it's funny because at the end of the Dwight era, one of the executives made the point to him. I don't know if this ever came out, but basically like, dude, this is a new era. You don't have to play in LA. You don't have to play in New York. You don't have to play in Chicago or Miami. You can make it. You can make anything. You can make any any market the biggest market in the world when you're there. And I think that was only starting to shift in 2012 when he left. 
And I think it's really happening now where you can make anything the, ba- the center of the basketball universe. And you don't necessarily have to go to a major market. You can make anything a major market because of the internet, because of social media, because of just brand power and all the different things you can do. So in a weird way, I'm less worried. When Shaq left Orlando, I think he called it something like a little puddle or something like that. Like he was just really demeaning about it. The city's grown, but also just like no one really talks about NBA markets that way anymore. You know, like OKC had that core together for a while and then they were able to just hit the hard reset button. So I'm less worried about being uh, betrayed than maybe I was uh, about a pick 15 years ago. I like your angle about Orlando has actually been way more competent than it gives credit for. I think that's a good, yeah. I think that's a good foothold for you. I, it's true. If you, if, if I went up to a random Hawks fan or Hornets fan, it was like, all right, our last 30 years for yours. They're, they're not even thinking about it. They're, they're absolutely taking it. Yeah, it's funny how some franchises have identities, right? Orlando's Wizards, identity... Wizards, same way, yeah. Oh, Wizards is the all-time rock bottom of the last 40 yep. years of anybody you come up with. Your identity is like, we had these things where it really yeah. seemed incredibly promising and it didn't work out the way we thought, but there was still some stuff happening. Even the uh, McGrady Grand Hill. Yes. You know, that worked out probably about as as badly from a luck standpoint <laughs> yeah. as it could have worked out. But you had McGrady who for three straight years, McGrady versus Kobe was a legitimate argument. And I think actually statistically McGrady probably wins. That was the, the, the first Christmas day game for LeBron and his career was at Orlando because it was going to be McGrady LeBron. And I yeah. kind of feel like we've glossed over that. Um, obviously the injuries and the surgeries and the trade McGrady was still a hugely productive player when he got to Houston, but it changes. It, it changed the narrative a little bit. McGrady was was one of the best scorers in modern basketball history. Um, when he played in Orlando, he just didn't have the help. I mean, Juwan Juwan Howard trades all of this desperation yeah. stuff. Once it once it once we found out that that Grant Hill wasn't going to work. But no, I think there's an identity. I had a friend. I have a friend who came over from England a couple of years ago to, and was my coworker at the WSA, and he was saying like, "Explain Orlando to me. Explain the magic to me." And I was like, "Well." We're not, we've had some of the greatest talents in the history of basketball in this place. And like, I think there's a lot of franchises that would kill for that. I mean, it's almost like a, a European soccer team where they, you know, they, they had four or five guys who ended up, you know, winning World Cups or whatever, but they never won a league title with them. That, that's an okay destiny. Like, I got to see Shaq in a pretty small arena a couple miles from my house. Penny Hardaway, same thing. Dwight Howard, Tracy McGrady. Like, who's got it? I, I just, I think that's an okay basketball fate to have. If you have this constellation of stars, you never quite get there. I, I think the franchise as a whole doesn't get nearly enough credit um, for the highs that they've reached. That's fair. All right, Kevin Clark, good luck. We'll continue to monitor these Palo ads. Chet. Chet. Very strange. Uh, I hope you get your guy. Thanks for coming on. And I'm sure we will talk to you after the draft. See you, buddy. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. Have you ever been in an accident? And you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm 
is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, we move on to Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer. He is continuing to put up new content on our fantastic draft guide. I don't know if people realize this. I tweeted about this earlier, KSC. We cannot telepathically predict each pick. Nobody has this intelligence that we have. We're going to go 60 for 60. People don't believe us, but we have, <laughs> 50, we have no, AI 50, learning. It's 58. It's 58 for 58, 58 this year, Bill. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> we lost a couple. Um, okay. So your question, we're doing burning questions. Your question is, after the one, two, three, and it seems like Ivy is destined to go four, is there a favorite home run swing? Is there, think about years past, like Giannis, what pick was he, 15? Donovan Mitchell, very tail end of the lottery. Um, could there be a home run swing in here? Could there be a guy who ends up being the best player in this draft who doesn't go in the top four? And if so, who is it? Can I give you three at different ranges yes. in the first round? Okay. Give us three. Give us a gold medalist, a silver medalist, and a bronze medalist <laughs> for this question. All right. One, Shaden Sharp, kind of the, the mystery player, goes to Kentucky, doesn't play, 6'5". You watch his high school video. This dude's a bucket getter. Uh, I mean, Ryan Russillo and I have talked about him a little bit. I, I think he's a bit of a better playmaker than he gets credit for. He's asked to score, um, but he does show the will to at least pass. And, if, you know, J. Kyle Mann did a great video of him uh, as well, breaking down some of his footage d defensively at lower levels. When he's playing in a team context, you know, where the desire, you know, the goal is to win games, not EYBL, the defensive ability is there. So Shaden Sharp. Number one that comes to mind as a as a go to scoring wing, and then Usman Jang. Wait, hold on. Can you can you stay with Sharp for a second? What's yeah. the what's the draft pick range for him in your opinion? Like, could he go as high as four, and he and could he drop out of the top nine? I'd be surprised if he goes four because it sounds like Ivy will go there, whether it's to Sacramento or for a trade. You know, with Sacramento, I'd say for Sharp, it's probably more like six to twelve. That that's probably the range for him. Something so like he could that, fall out of top ten. Yeah, I mean, it could happen. I mean, there's been so many different guys, including, you know, like a, a Jang that could move up. There's, you know, a number of different guys that could slide into the top 10. And now there's have already. Matt Matherin has solidified himself as a top 10 guy. Dyson Daniels has solidified himself as a top 10 as well. What is the perfect type of team for Sharp? Is it a bad team where he can get minutes like Jalen Green last year, where you're just getting thrown out there, you're getting your reps, you're making your mistakes, and then... February, March, beginning of April, all of a sudden it starts to come together? Or would you rather see him in like a Golden State situation? Not that it would be Golden State, but a, a good team that he could be worked in and learn like the right rest lessons. I, I think it's exactly that. It's more of the, the good situation where it's a low pressure. You know, you don't, there's no expectations like New Orleans, for example. They already mm. have so many, so many young players where this is an upside player. You can slowly develop and bring him in or San Antonio, somewhere like that, where they already have Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell and a bunch of guards where for him, he can come off the bench and get some easy minutes rather than, you know, like a, a team that needs scoring right now. Uh, so I think for, for him, that's the best fit. Okay, who's your silver oh, medalist? Usman Jang, a uh, French prospect, six foot ten forward. Uh, spent this last year playing in New Zealand. He's, I mean, he's he played last year, but he, he's unproven just like Sharp has. He struggled really until the last you know two three weeks of the year. It was a tough year with him with like the COVID situation since arriving in Australia there. So I think for with him, six ten, his best skill right now is his ball handling ability, his playmaking. And anytime you're talking about somebody with that type of size that can handle and create shots for themselves or for and for others, 
there's a baseline for success. And you factor in the fact that he did look better shooting those pull-up jumpers, uh, hitting spot-up threes to close the year. As he continues to develop, there's a, a package for like a, a well-rounded, versatile offensive player that can be used in so many different roles. And, and naturally, with that size, hard worker, you know, puts in effort on defense. It's just a matter of developing fundamentals and developing his awareness on that end. So he could, be, he could end up one of the, like, the better two-way guys in the NBA draft if all things work out. You know I have a bias against tall, super skinny guys. Yeah. 6'10", he's, he's not super... Yeah, I mean, I think he has a frame, though. He should get stronger. He has the wider okay. frame to, to put on some weight. Because I'm trying to think, best case scenarios, like Giannis, I mean, he grew three inches, too. That was always helping. But he was... We were thinking he was like a Paul George type coming out of that draft, and all of a sudden he was seven feet. But you have as... In the draft guide, you have as shades of Brandon Ingram, Chandler Parsons, and Evan Turner. Those are three guys that I would not have grouped together. So Brandon Ingram, I'm guessing the body. Chandler Parsons, what is it about the Chandler Parsons piece? Chandler Parsons, I'd say more like overall ability, that type of thing, where he's not your star player, but he could be a good, you know, scoring presence with size. And I think if you insert, you know, healthy prime Chandler Parsons into today's NBA, yeah, he'd he be was a pretty good, good player. Yeah, yeah, he was a good player, right? Yeah, and and I Evan think Turner Tur- is like no no the, shot, but can do a lot of stuff. Yeah, if the shot never develops, like you still have a player with size who can play make for you. Man, I mean, my favorite part of this draft is the eight to like fifteen section, like especially if Matherin ends up in that range. But then I think AJ Griffin's really interesting. You know, yeah, like that Duke team was so loaded, it almost becomes hard to figure out who was who, but he has all the basic skills you would want. We talked about wings on Sunday in this pod. Like, just I just want wings. And that guy checks all the boxes. The Johnny Davis thing, it just seems like he's going to score. Yeah, he's a bucket. It just seems like he's going to get baskets. And, you know, versus like somebody like a, like the Celtics took Neesmith. It's like, Neesmith, might, he might be able to score. Like, some people just have it. Where it's like, I can score. I'm putting in points. Sohan, you know, I love him. And and I love Mark Williams. I think if if you have him in that 13 to 15 range as a big who can play 20, 25 minutes a game, that's really valuable because at that point, you're only paying, what, four million bucks a year? Yeah, Easy I, I love contract. Mark Williams. I got a I got a little like mini mini article coming out about him on the Ringer. I think either late Tuesday or early Wednesday, just about Mark Williams, because you're right, Bill. I mean, what did we see this year in the NBA? Bigs, they're competing for MVP. Robert Williams and Al Horford starting for the Celtics. Kevon Looney having huge minutes throughout the yep. postseason for the Warriors. Having quality bigs, even if they're non-superstars, it matters a lot to get through those matchups. Like Looney, he defends Jokic in round one. Interior player in round three against Luka. He's switching onto the perimeter against him. Like you got to have bigs that you can trust. And I love Mark Williams. That, that dude... That dude's so big. Like, what did he have? That's the second longest standing reach in in recorded history behind Taco Fall. Right. It's nuts how big he is. And he's got some skill too. I like him a lot. I think I think Mark Williams is going to be shooting three someday. Because when I talked to him, uh, I asked him about he shot like five for nine in two years at Duke on jumpers and looked pretty good shooting them. And and he told me that that's something he's been working on a lot because he knows like that's a necessity to maximize his value in the NBA. I, I'm I'm a buyer in Mark Williams stock. He's definitely a playoff series guy. Yeah, I could have seen him in the finals playing you know six minute stretches in each half for either of the teams. 
You know, like the and Celtics they, and, became afraid to play Tice as the playoffs went along. And it's like, I, I don't know, he's he's a little closer to the Robert Williams. At least he can rim protect and be physical. You know, I'm sure I'm sure yeah. teams will a smart team will be able to pull him out in his space and try to beat him off the dribble, stuff like that. I, I talked to him I talked to him during the conference finals and I asked him, Is there a big that you've watched in the postseason that you feel like that you could fit into that role someday? And he mentioned Robert Williams. Of course. That exact role. Yeah. Uh, all right, so who's your bronze medalist? Let's go with Peyton Watson out of UCLA. Oh, um, okay. He, he had a really bad year, really bad yeah. freshman season, playing behind a lot of veterans, um, upperclassmen on that UCLA roster, came off the bench, did not do well, shot, you know, he averaged three points per game. You know, it's, he wasn't playing much. He was not producing in those minutes. But the fact is, is you're talking about someone who's six foot seven with super long arms, who busts his ass on defense, you know, he crashes the boards, can switch onto the perimeter, can defend some bigger guys as well. And then it's like we talked about with Jang. He has the ball handling ability. He creates space and he can pass the ball. It's just a matter of can he get stronger to the point that he's finishing well around the rim? Can he become efficient enough as an outside shooter that that ball handling is activated and becomes meaningful in the half court? But I think with somebody like him, we're seeing so many players with funky style games that are managing to find a role, whether it's a, a Gary Payton or whether it's like a, a Grant Williams, like Sirius Sohi's wrote in about before, these kind of you know weird-bodied players that have skill. Uh, Peyton Watson kind of fits into that category, I think, as someone that's worth a gamble in the late first. So he was 12th on the ESPN Top 100. The two guys that jump out on this list, when you go back and look at that from 2021, because Chet was number one, Jaden Hardy was two, Bates was three, but I think, you know, Bates stayed in school. Paolo was four. Jabari was sixth. And Patrick Baldwin Jr. was fifth. And he had a terrible college year. And I think he's not even in your top 30. But then uh, your guy Peyton Watson was 12th. Yeah, Baldwin 29 on my board now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so no, it, those are just ESPN Top 100 pedigree stuff where you you go, oh, I didn't like the situation that guy was in as a freshman in college, but the pedigree is still there. Sire Williams, I would say like how good he looked in Memphis versus how bad his one college season was probably is making people rethink the, eh, can we overreact to four bad months in college when the pedigree was there all through high school? Yeah, especially for a guy like Watson when, I mean, he's playing behind upperclassmen and not getting a ton of consistent opportunities to do what he did at the high school level. So I, I think for teams, he, he's one of those players where you can feel that there's a baseline, uh, uh, like a foundation for him to have success. He can grow into becoming a, a versatile defender who makes the right play on offense. But if the, the jump shot develops, if that ends up popping, you're talking about someone that's going to have a long career in the NBA. That That's a worthy gamble for some of these teams in the late 20s, early 30s that already have a lot of young talent where it's worth taking a swing or or they're already contending. And it's like, yeah, let's bring a guy in that could grow into either you know a key player or a role player for us. I, I think he has all of those paths available to him. Well, we have a lot of time to talk about the draft on Thursday night. Your favorite player in the draft out of the top three is... It's Paolo? Mm. You're Paolo guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, oh, out of the top three. Okay. Yeah. In the in the top three, I got uh Paolo Bancaro, number one. Bancaro one, Smith two, Holmgren three. How do you actually three. see the one, two, three going? With now it is one ten PM on Tuesday. The Paolo ads have moved a little. What do you think it'll go one, two, three? 
as of now, still Smith one, Holmgren two, Bancaro three. But there could be movement within the top three that could change that up, like Houston trying to move up to assure that they get Bancaro. And I've heard OKC is also in on Bancaro, but how much of that is just noise to try to influence a trade, knowing Houston's desire to get Paolo? I th- I never believe any rumors with OKC because nothing ever comes out with them. You know, like even well, last I mean, year, it, it never came out that they were going hard after Mobley until what a couple months after the yeah. draft. It's it, they do a nice job of just kind of burying stuff. I think. Well, it was out there a lot with Poku. <laughs> True, <laughs> they they wanted that they wanted Poku, <laughs> but that but might think, have been the Wa- a Wasserman agency thing more than anything else. The connections maybe. there. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, well, we'll see what happens. And you can listen to KSC in the mismatch feed. And then on Thursday night, I know you're our, our popping on. We're going to do a multi-part extravaganza. Good Ooh, to see you, cool. KSC. Thank you, Bill. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Okay, Raheem Palmer is here. New edition. F- free agent signing on The Ringer. He, uh, You can find him on The Ringer Gambling Show. There's going to be a lot of basketball, football stuff. Did pretty well on The Ringer Gambling Show in the finals. Better than I did. You were you were telling us under, under, under the last couple rounds. You were right. That I mean, last couple games. You were right. That's what happens. Things get tight. Sphincters get tight. The game plans get better. Shots stop going in. Yeah, I mean, you look at both teams, they really struggled to score in the half court. And I think ultimately the difference was Steph Curry is the best player in the world right now. So, wait, wait, Did that result surprise you or did you leave game six thinking that was the right result? I think if they played that series over again, we'd probably get a seven-game series. I think game four was the deciding game. Like, I mean, the Celtics up 91-86 score six points for the rest of the game. And I said to myself, I think I actually tweeted it out. I said, this series is over. That's going the series. Because I mean, I was actually on the Celtics and I kind of got lucky because I planned on betting the Celtics to win the series. But you know my game seven trend. Um, It's held up so long. The Celtics won game one. So with them winning game one, I couldn't come back on the Celtics at a better number. So that kind of saved me. So I was just betting game by game. But I just think game four just swung the series so much. And then you saw the Celtics bench really struggled. I mean, they had basically five guys. I mean, Grant Williams, Derek White, and Pritchard, they gave them nothing for the last three, four games of the series. Raheem, so. I, I just I just gotten over this. Why are you bringing this up to me? Oh, wait, I brought it up. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, our bench died and Tatum died. And the right team won. The Warriors got better every game. And they just figured the Celtics out. And I'm still mad about it. Uh, we're going to talk about 2023 NBA. This is one of our burning questions because it's not just about the draft this week. We might see some trades. Something might happen. The odds are out. Was looking at uh, at FanDuel. And, you know, I mean, first of all, they've figured out the future odds. There's no value at all. Everybody's like 7-1, to 9-1. And it just doesn't make sense 
I don't think, especially in like June, to bet like a team at seven to one to win the finals. Do you agree with that or no? I think there's some value out there. Okay, um, tell me. For me, I'm looking at the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, right now, when you look at this Los Angeles Clippers team, they're going to bring back Kawhi Leonard. This is a team who, to me, they project to be top five offensively and defensively. Last year, Paul George only played 31 games, and they were still a top five defense. And when Paul George came back, the offense was rolling. And then they also made some trades last year that I felt put them over the top. I mean, obviously... Made them deeper. Yeah, I mean, you got Robert Covington. You got Norman Powell. I mean, this is a wing factory. And what do you want in today's NBA? Other than your team, the Boston Celtics, there's nobody with better wins. So you bring Kawhi Leonard back to that. And I know it's tough to, like, bank on a guy coming off of an ACL injury. But we've seen Kevin Durant. We've seen seen Klay Thompson. I think Kawhi will be fine. The one thing I don't like is I, I hear that they're thinking about trading for Kyrie Irving. I don't really like that because I think that's going to mess up their depth. But at <laughs> seven... Like seven fifty, I love the Clippers. I think that's the that's the that's the best bet on the board. And I think that 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 value is not going to be there forever. You know that one jumped out to me too, but I just felt like the plus seven fifty wasn't a value. I thought they could be like twelve to one, thirteen to one, because we haven't seen these guys together, and you know, basically since spring of two thousand twenty one. But but at the same time, the top five: Golden State's five to one on Fanduel, Brooklyn seven to one, Milwaukee seven to one, Celts are seven to one, and Clippers are plus seven fifty. And then it drops to the Suns plus 950. It feels like it's right that the Clips have the second best odds in the West. Yeah. Yeah. I, the one that definitely. surprised me, I don't understand the Nets thing at all. I have no idea why they have the second best odds out of anybody. I don't get it. I, I think there's so many variables with them. Start with the Kyrie thing. I have no idea what team he's going to be on. Um, a bunch of old role guys they signed last year. Really, none of them panned out. Does, I have no idea if KD's happy where his head's at. And then Ben Simmons, you know, you're in Philly. Like, <laughs> do you trust Ben Simmons? So I, to me, the fact that the Clippers have worse odds than the Nets is like absolute insanity. I don't get it. To me, the the Nets at the same odds as the Bucks are insane to me. Like, right. Uh, to, like Benjamin might never play basketball for the Nets ever. And then like Kyrie and Kevin Durant are best friends. If they don't handle this Kyrie situation in the way that Kevin Durant wants them to handle it, Kevin Durant could walk. Like, this could completely fall apart. Right. We're going to talk about Kyrie in part two. I have some theories on this, but uh, just spoiler alert, I think he'll end up on Brooklyn because I don't think anybody else is ultimately going to give up whatever it would take. It's one of those yeah. things, they, they don't want to be with each other, but they're going to kind of end up with each other. I'm going to throw two teams at you that I thought were intriguing from a value point. You tell me what you think. Nuggets 17 to one. We just talked about uh, Rob Mahoney and I just talked about them about could they be one move away from, you know, if you package Gordon and Monty Morris's contract, the picks they have, could they have a fourth guy? Um, they're 17 to one. That seemed a little juicy to me, considering they have one of the best four players in the week. What do you think of that one? They they stand out to me, but I think the thing that scares me is they they just got a new GM. Um, obviously he left for Minnesota, right? Um, yep. and then I'm still, I want to see the status of Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. I mean, obviously I think when I look at Nikola Jokic, to me, he's one of the best players in the league and I price him the same way I would any type top guy. Like you have to account for him. I mean, this yeah. guy stole one game off the Warriors, almost two. So I just want to wait on that. I think you could probably get a little bit better, better of a number later on. 
I think it's funny. They had they're seventeen to one. The Nets are seven to one, and to me, they're basically the same team from an I don't know what the fuck is going to happen standpoint. Each team has a great player, and then there's some variables variables with the two through four. I, I honestly, Denver's probably in an easier division or easier conference, or at least a conference that has more uncertainty. You know, but yeah. so I just feel like some of this stuff comes down to like who's public, as you know, like people just think Brooklyn's a super contender and they're just not anymore. It's not the team from a year and a half ago when it was Harden and Kyrie and KD. I was like, oh my God, how are we going to stop these guys? Those days are done and we don't know what we're going with Ben. All right, so. I mean, the Nets were favorites over your Celtics and I thought that was like the most batshit insane line that I've ever seen in my life. I thought, so, I also thought it was crazy. <laughs> uh, here's the other one. This one might surprise you. Bulls 65 to one. Ooh. So, this is this is a long shot, but what if they traded for Gobert? What if that Vucevic, Pat Williams rumor that KOC was talking about, and they just ended up with Gobert, and then you start thinking about defensively what that team would look like. Now, what if they were able to get Gobert without trading Patrick Williams, and it was just Vucevic, the pick they have this year, and a bunch of more picks, but I was thinking about them defensively if they had Caruso and Lonzo, even if they were able to keep Patrick Williams, Zach Levine, DeRozan, and Gobert anchoring everything. All of a sudden, that looks like a real playoff team to me. So the 65 to 1, just to, to just the flyer, just in case they're the Gobert team, I thought was an interesting idea. That's that's really interesting. I mean, I wouldn't mind putting a small bet on that. Like, I mean, if they get Gobert, I mean, like, that's that's scary. Little appetizer, right? Like just yeah. You know, well, I mean, why I'm not? I'm not saying it's an entree. It's not the veal chop, but it, you know, it's like it's a soup order. Uh, yeah, what else like did that. you have for values for? Uh, did you, any long shots that you liked? Um, I mean, I think obviously you kind of you got to have the Bucks. I mean, they have the best player in the world, and I mean, I think everybody kind of agrees that if Middleton didn't get hurt, I'm sorry, Bill. If Middleton get, didn't I, get hurt, I agree with you, dude. <laughs> so I, I'm like, there. I, I, like I don't see that number getting better than seven and one, so I think you can you know you put some value down on that. But as far as long shots, you know, last year I said, and I said this back in January, the Dallas Mavericks or the Memphis Grizzlies will go to the Western Conference Finals. Now, one of those happened, the other one didn't. Obviously, John Morant got hurt. I don't want to really look to the Grizzlies because I do think the West is getting better. But I, I think if I'm looking towards a long shot, which I'm not going to play now, it'd probably be the Dallas Mavericks at, at plus 1900. I mean, obviously, the trade to, to Christian Wood was that that was huge for them. I mean, I, I think that kind of makes them obviously they're like the Rockets almost, like the James Harden ever Rockets. Now they have some rebounding, they have some size. I think that's they really struggle is they got beat up on the boards against Golden State. I think they're going to be a top one to three seat. Like mm. honestly, like. If they open up the lines at some point where you can bet, you know, seeding, I would be looking at the Mavericks to be one of the best regular season teams in the league. And I also think that opens up the value for Luka to be MVP. So you figure they'll use the mid-level exception too. They already turned all the guys on the back of their bench who didn't play into Christian Wood, who's lobs and threes at worst. He's also an expiring if that trade doesn't work out. They could just flip him in February. He's making like 14 million. So I agree on that. One more body at free, like, let's say they got, I don't know, Robin Lopez. Just any, just give me any big guy who could at least play 15 minutes and not be a complete disaster. And then Luca makes a jump up. I know you're monitoring this too, because we're talking about MVP. 
Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm I'm every day I'm waiting for the picture of Luca with the eight pack and he's giving up <laughs> sugar and he's working out with this dude. And oh my God, is that is that a tricep? What's going on? Now? I'm just I'm waiting. I don't know if this is the year, but Luca in a tank top looking like a Marvel hero. And when that happens, I am banging the MVP. The MVP is five to one right now. Still pretty good odds, right? He's going to win at some point. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, to me, he's the rightful favorite. I mean, I, I like Luca. I mean, obviously. And then last year, he had the Olympics. So he was coming off the Olympics mm. where, I mean, like he did more than people expected him to do. I mean, he took that team really far. And now he's back. I mean, so it's like he has a whole offseason to, you know, party and then get into shape. So if he's in shape, I think he's, he's the favorite to win this award. Five to one is pretty nice odds. I actually thought that was going to be like plus plus two fifty, three to one range. Embiid is plus five fifty. Giannis, who just seven to one, always feels it just almost feels like that. That's too high. Durant's ten to one. Jokic twelve to one. Curry thirteen to one. And then it starts getting into like a couple a couple long shots. I like Ja sixteen to one. If you're making the case like. Uh, Memphis is a top three team. Ja plays the whole season. Ja, 30 points a game. Ja, the most popular young player in the league by all the social media metrics. And then the Kawhi comeback, 24 to 1. For me, I'm not taking anybody over 30. I actually did some work on how... Um, over 30 years old? Yeah, like 30 or more. Like there's only been, what, there have been seven, there were seven guys who won MVP who were 30 and above. You you know what the last one was? Carl Malone, Steve Nash in two thousand five and two thousand and six. Ah, oh, that's you're the right. last. Yeah, that's the. And then here's the thing: if you look at the history of the war since nineteen eighty five, there's been six players who won the MVP award in their thirties. Most, I mean, I mean, excuse me. There's been seven since nineteen eighty five. Six of them came in the 90s. Magic Johnson in 1990, Hakeem Olajuwon in 1994, Michael Jordan, 96, 98, Carmelo, 97, 99. But when you look at the 90s, that was a time when pace slowed to a crawl. So 30-year-olds don't win this award. So I'm automatically crossing off LeBron James. I'm crossing off Kevin Durant. I'm crossing off Curry because they just don't win this award. It's like, it's, it's no country for old men. <laughs> That's good. Well, the other thing with the 90s, the talent, we had a swoon of talent. So somebody like Carl Malone, who was doing the same stuff he was doing five years earlier, all of a sudden it was more impressive because everybody around him was playing worse. That's really interesting, the over 30 thing. I like that. Um, all right, so you crossed off Kawhi, but that doesn't cross off Ja. At yeah, that, that definitely doesn't cross off Ja. And I think the, the, the biggest thing with Memphis is that I do think they can take a step back. Like they right. had a slow start to the season. And then they got it going defensively and they just went on a good run. But I think the West is a little better this year. Anthony Edwards, 65 to one, a little too early. Pretty good in hustle. Probably, probably, probably a little too early, but I I loved him in hustle. I mean, he was like Tupac and Juice as far as being a villain. <laughs> he, he, he was amazing. I was stunned. <laughs> and apparently he filmed that after his rookie year when he was barely even Anthony Edwards yet. But he had the same confidence he had during the season. Give us uh, an Embiid prediction before you go. Just in general, what does his next year look like? Um, I think it's the same as this year. I think he's he's dominant. Actually, I think if there's a long shot, I think you kind of want to look to the Sixers because, and this is not me being biased. This is more about Daryl Morey. What does Daryl Morey do? He he finds ways to 
put things together. So whether they trade Tobias Harris or um, Thibault and get some more guys in there, I think MB is going to be his dominant self. I don't know if James Harden is going to stop partying, but I think I think MB is right there in, in the in the MVP conversation. Maybe he even wins it this year. All right, there's sixteen to one. We got to go, Raheem. Good to see you. We can hear Raheem on the Ringer Gambling Show. I'll be popping on there a few times with you over the summer. And then football, basketball, it's going to be a sprint. Good to see you. Good to see you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, our guy John Jastrzemski is here. You can hear him on the New York, New York podcast. You can hear him on the Ringer Gambling Show where him and House were getting their asses kicked by Raheem Palmer. He was just telling them under, 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 and he was right. What, a, what an addition to the show. We're not talking Yankees. I don't care. Wow. You guys, no, we're not That's talking. That's why I thought you no, were having care. me on. No, wow, in denial. No. You hate to it's see a, that. You it's hate a basketball, to see that. basketball podcast today. What are the Knicks going to do? What do you want them to do? Okay, what do I want them to do? I want yeah. them to trade up and get Ivy because they haven't had a legitimate bona fide star guard in like my entire life. So like the idea of getting somebody who can create and can make things happen, it excites me. The problem is how are the Knicks going to do that? Like they're not getting Kyrie Irving. Like you want to talk about like something that would drive me to drink, something that would drive me up a wall. The idea of Kyrie Irving coming to the New York Knicks, no thank you. Uh, I don't want any involvement. Uh, they could have had him a couple of years ago with Kevin Durant. That did not happen. And I think ultimately Kyrie's going to end up staying in Brooklyn. I think Durant wants him back. It seemed like it was all kumbaya from a Nets-Irving perspective about a month, month and a half ago, despite the sweep. But you're asking me what I want Thursday night BS? Ivy, that's what I want. So you have the 10th pick. So you're saying talk Sacramento into a little flipperoo. What else are you throwing in? Are you throwing in future picks? Like what if Sacramento said, well, yeah, you can trade up for four. We want 10. We want next year's first. Give us a pick swap the year after and give us quickly. And we're happy to do that for you. Well, I was thinking they would want Toppin. And I don't want to trade Toppin, but I would do it. Because I think the Knicks are that desperate for a lead guard. I think they are that desperate for a lead mm. guard where as much as I like Obi, here, here's the problem, BS. What are they doing with that Randall contract? Can they actually find a legitimate taker for Randall? He was a dog last year, the feel-good year, the all-NBA year. You're never getting that again. I would sell him 30 cents on the dollar. But I, I ask you, Mr. NBA, who is the team? Usually it's Sacramento. It's not Sacramento. Who is the team that can take Julius Randle off my team's hands? I think it's like a Westbrook Lakers situation. I don't I don't think anyone's taking him back unless they know what that'll happen to him last year, unless he could prove in the next season that he's back to where he was two years ago. I, I thought it was one of the most inexplicable subplots of the year. How somebody that was a beloved teammate and really efficient, and I think I voted for him second team all NBA 
turned into the guy we watched last year. It doesn't make sense. It was like he was going through something. Um, I'm with you on the Toppin thing. I'd like Toppin. I would be really, really uncomfortable about giving him up. But if you're stuck with Randall, you might have to, because what are you going to, in two years, you're going to pay Obi Toppin like $20 million a year when he can't play with Randall? Well, and that's the issue. They need a guard. Like, I, I don't know how many times I need to say it. Like, that's the direction the NBA is going. Like, you need one of those guys. Ivy, to me, fits perfectly. Now, if you tell me right now, it's this year's first, next year's first, but I want it like top three protected. If I could do that, done. And it's Obi Toppin, I would make that trade. I would do it. So 10th pick, Mm -hmm. Obi Toppin, and next year's first, top three protected to move up to four. I would do it. That's what you're saying. I would do it. Now, if, if Sacramento asked for my advice on that, I think I would tell them to do that. I agree. It makes sense for them. They have 10 zillion point guards. I mean, they got Davion Mitchell last year, for goodness sakes. They still have De'Aaron Fox. I don't think think I'm being unreasonable with that trade request. And I like the players from 8 to 12 because I think they would end up with somebody good there anyway, and it's not a redundant point guard thing. I really worry about Ivy. I think that's the worst team for him to go to. Where a team that uh, with Fox, who just was in this whole weird thing with Halliburton, the moment they traded Halliburton, his stats took off. He really quick with Sabonis. And I would just worry about bringing Ivy into that. Mitchell's already there. And so for me, first with the Kings, is Fox our guy or not? And if he's not, maybe that's plan B to this, right? Maybe then you think about, we're going to take Ivy and then we'll trade Fox to the Knicks. Well, last year, it's funny you mentioned that. Before the Sabonis trade, I was wishing and hoping that the Knicks could swap Randall for Fox. I was rooting for that. Because I've always wanted Fox on the Knicks. But now with Sabonis there, I can't see that. So would you trade Randall and the 10 for Fox? Because I wouldn't. Done. You would. I would not do that. I would. I, I absolutely would. To get Randall off the team, yes. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Because let me ask you this question. If they don't move up for Ivy, what are the Knicks looking at with the 10th pick? Mark Williams? A.J. Griffin? Sohan. I like Sohan. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, you're going to get me to buy in there? It's not somebody that will have the fans um, clamoring for the seasons. It does feel like the Knicks, you know, last year, just bizarre that they overreacted to that Hawks series like they did. They lost to the Hawks in five and acted like we got to keep the band together, go forward. <laughs> well, we, I mean, we, they had we as have bad an offseason as any team that I can imagine. The Randall extension, which some would the, say, well, you had to do it. The Randall extension for no reason. No, they didn't they have to do it at all. let him play out the year. Totally, totally agree. And then you think about this. Fournier, absolute stiff. They gave Alec Burks a ton of money. Rose, who I like. They brought back and gave him a ton of money. And of course, predictably, he ends up getting hurt. Last year went as bad as can be. And you also had the regression factor from a tips team where they really played out of their freaking mind the first year he was there. And then you had that regression to the mean in year two. Well, and then letting Bullock go, who's actually a 3 and D playoff guy. You spend the money on all these other guys, but you let the 3 and D playoff guy go. Not that he's like an all-star, but he's a piece. I thought he had some important moments for Dallas. I didn't understand 
really anything they did last summer. I was saying at the time, I didn't understand giving Randall the extension when they didn't have to. I didn't like extending some of the deals. And then it was the whole thing. I'm like, no, 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 the deals aren't as bad as they seem. They can get out of them. But it's like, well, great. You can't get out of them now. And I think it's such an advantage to have cap space. Over and over again, we see these teams panic when they have cap space. We got to do something with cap space. It's like, wait, wait, well, Tibbs isn't going to want to coach a young team. Well, then get another coach. Like, why, why is everybody has to cater toward Tibbs? What is, Tibbs has never coached a team in the finals. It's not like he's Phil Jackson. You know, and I think that I, I was get another that. mistake. I, I think Tibbs is the least of their problems, though. Their direction, to me, is the bigger problem. And that's what I need to figure out before we hit the start of the year. Are they going all young? Like, uh, are they rolling out RJ and not with Quickly Tibbs. and Toppin? Well, if that's the case, then the, what is the plan for this front office? That's and, and BS, I wish I could give you a more detailed and a more eloquent answer because I don't have the slightest idea what their plan is. I have no clue. <sighs> the tips thing's a problem. It is also is swimming against where the league is going, where you're those type of coaches, the, the guys who didn't play, who get the attention for being what they do and they have their scheme and the whole thing. Like, it feels like the league's moving away from that. If anything, those guys are becoming lead assistants now. You know, I thought it was interesting. Kenny Atkinson had a chance to have the Charlotte job, but instead was like, you know what? I'm super happy as Steve Kerr's number one assistant. And I'll be his X's and O's guys and Steve can do all the public stuff. Celtics, same thing with the Ime Doko and Will Hardy is like his number one guy, right? Will Hardy's in a great spot. He gets to do all the fun coaching stuff without the actual, you know, having to run the team and he can get all the reps and stuff like that. I just think the Tibbs, Stan Van Gundy era is, is kind of going by the wayside. Going forward, I think guys are going to, teams are going to be hiring ex-players. I think it'll, you might they'll be, be right looking at people that. like Iguodala and, and people who just played. Who oh, have he'll respect, be coaching. 100%. And, then put, and put really good assistants around them. But the main guy will be somebody who can connect with the players who used to be a player. I think that's where we're going. But but don't you think the bigger problem for the New York Knicks right now is their front office, not their head coach? Because I think the front office right now is completely clueless. Well, so the front office, the one good thing they did is they reestablished some of the credibility because I think until Wes and Leon showed up, the Knicks were just considered to be a complete shit show. Stay away. They so what, get now meetings. they're a semi-shit a semi shit show? I don't. I think they at least seem... Like they have a plan. I just disagree with the plan. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just, what is the plan? The idea of getting respectable and then hoping that builds towards something. Like, I, I don't know what that is. I think like the two plan years was, ago, well, they've drafted came out of well, nowhere. but they okay. drafted pretty well the last couple of years. I think the plan was, there's nobody we like with the cap space. We're going to try to protect the cap spots. We're going to try to get value where we think there's value. And and just kind of wait and just kind of accumulate assets. The problem is the Randall thing was where they fucked up. If they didn't do the Randall thing, the 48 contract's fine. He makes too much money, but if he was making 10 million, it'd be fine. He's overpaid, which gives him something in common with 50 guys. The Randall thing was indefensible. I, I just don't understand why they did it. And I don't think there's a way to get out of it. And you know, as a Knicks fan, I know as a Celtics fan during the ML Carr, Rick Patino era, like, you have these contracts and it's 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 like having a car lease for the worst car ever. We're like, I can't even get rid of this. Uh, and they've what am done I going to do? So many times the Knicks. 
so many times. I mean, before Donnie Walsh came in, that was their MO. They would take these awful contracts. I remember when Ewing, and this is 20 years, for goodness sakes, B.S., they took on Shandon Anderson and Howard Isley and Travis Knight. And in many ways, people listening are probably like, what are you doing? Why are you referencing something from 20 years ago? Well, the reason I'm referencing it is because that started this trend that the Knicks have repeated about three or four times over the last 20 years. No, you're you're going back. It starts in the mid nineties, really like with Chris Childs and some of those. No, but at at least those teams were, were contending teams. Like yeah, they overpaid Allen Houston, but at at least Allen Houston provided moments. And LJ, that was another one. Seen in 20 plus years for goodness sake. So I can live with that. I I really can early nineties and beyond. There are just very few years you can find the organization in stable footing or making the right decisions. So, yeah, they're not a full-fledged shit show. Um, they have drafted okay, like Barrett. Toppin is useful. Quickly is useful. But Barkley said this. I don't know if you saw this. It was in New York papers a couple of days ago, and I think it's an excellent quote. The Knicks have a bunch of guys. Like, uh, like they don't have, like, who outside of Barrett, who are the budding stars on the team? They don't mm. have them. And that's a problem. James Harden? No. No, 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 no. He's going back to Philly. You know that. Maury, your I'm boy trying to think of him. other. I'm trying to think of other stars that might be available. Yeah, I... Well, Mitchell's the guy. That, that, that'd be the guy New York City be drooling over. His dad works for the Mets. He's out of the Ranger RJ playoff has to games. be in that trade, though. Probably. That's the issue. And then what exactly does that do you? I, I, I don't know. You're going sideways at that point. I'd rather have RJ on a rookie contract... And the arrow's pointing up for him, and I like him. That would be my sign. Well, I I think there's something there with the Kings and Knicks in some way. There's some sort of match. That would excite me. You want something that will excite me, and I think a whole lot of Knicks fans, they trade up to four and get Ivy. I'm going to be fired up about that. Hmm. Because then I got a guard. Well, listen to JJ on the New York, New York pod. You can hear his response. We're not talking about the Yankees. I, I don't really, I, I don't take baseball seriously until August. That's just oh, now. I so oh, I don't no. even know last, what your record last is. Year, last year, I know couldn't your escape the, uh, it's okay though, because you've linked me with Jacko now. So me and Jacko now talk all the time <laughs> and we were texting last night and we were in yeah. our glory, big balls, Wendy Enjoy Peralta. It. You've been making a lot of trips to Boston. So I'm not going to see you at Fenway Park in a couple of weeks for Yankees Red Sox. That's what you're telling me. You will not see me. That's I ho- unfortunate. I, ho- I hope it don't get embarrassed. JJ, good to see you. Thanks, BS. All right, Big Waz is here. We're doing draft questions, burning questions. The Utah Jazz seem to hold a lot of cards. Could Gobert be going somewhere? Could Donovan Mitchell be going somewhere? Could they be going the other way and trying to bring guys in? You have been studying the Jazz for about four and a half minutes. What is your, (laughs) what's your take? First of all, what would you do if you were the Jazz? And then second, what do you think they will do? I would probably try to get some young guys in, get some draft picks for Mitchell um, and not completely stink up the joint in the process of doing so because Utah's kind of never been the team that just breaks it down to its studs and do the full tankathon type of thing. So I just probably, because I could get more from Mitchell being that he's got a nice amount of years still left on his deal. He's a wing player, ball dominant guy. He's younger. 
than Rudy. You can get the most for him. And I just keep Rudy around. My team will be competent. My young guys will learn how to play next to a guy who's obviously a proven, very solid pro, will play great defenses. And I'll just move on that way, get pieces, assets in the process, and move on with my life. Because Donovan Mitchell is not long for this franchise. It's just obvious. So they might as well do this as soon as they can and get the most that they can for it. So basically, if they were going to trade Mitchell, Miami would be, I think, the lead target, right? Because they could do, Hero could be in it, Hmm. Duncan Robinson, one or two more contracts, and you're good to go. If you wanted to get a little more ambitious, maybe Lowry's in that, Conley's coming back the other way if you wanted to make it a bigger trade. Could you trade Donovan Mitchell for a centerpiece? I asked Mahoney this earlier. Could you trade Donovan Mitchell for a centerpiece of Tyler Harrow and picks and pick swaps? Yeah, I think so. I I think it's because, man, I I think the picks are going to be more important to these guys. Like, I'm somebody who likes Tyler Hero, but I don't think he's like, (laughs) you know, some centerpiece of anything that isn't a quality bench unit, right? Right. He's the centerpiece of that. I don't know about anything else. And so I think he's a good enough uh, asset, if you will, to get back. But if I was Utah, yeah, I'd definitely be like, I want to maximize my ability to get some draft picks in there and hopefully get the next Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, they didn't pick this guy number two, number three, number one. Like, this guy was in the teens. And so they probably want to try to hit gold that way and give themselves as many bites at the apple as possible. Um, If they wanted to go another way, Bill, which is like... Talk to me. I think it's the Toronto where it's like, yo, you guys have a lot of wing depth. We had horrible wing depth. Um, We'll give you Rudy. You sacrifice some of your wing depth to get an actual center in there. We'll look into getting just a, since people think that Rudy's this easily replaceable guy, we'll get this replacement level kind of center in here. We'll fill out the wing depth and, and keep it pushing from there. So that's another way to sort of go about this. That has to be Siakam if that's the trade though. For sure. So you would, You'd be willing to think about that if you're Utah. I would, I would trade Gobert for Siakam in five seconds. Yeah, I, 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 mean, <laughs> I just would. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even blink at that. No, I'm not no, sure I, if I'm Toronto. I'm not sure I would. I don't think I would do that if I'm Toronto. You don't think you would give up Pascal for Rudy? See, and that's the thing. Like, I think I don't Toronto's think so. looking at it like, look, we kind of have our Pascal replacement in the wings. Yeah. Right now in Scotty Barnes. And so he seems like a guy that could be expendable. Right. Um, and, and Scotty has shown so much in his rookie year. I, 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 I could understand why they would do that. One hundred percent. I was getting excited for them to trade Gobert to Chicago for Vucevic picks, whatever. And then Miami, they get Hero and Robinson back. And it's just like the white guys start accumulating in Utah. People are like, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> wait. That, that wait, would be perfect. There's a, there's a lot of white guys going on here. And we're in Utah. Um, I think the other, we talked about the Knicks with JJ, which I, I don't think we've run that one yet. But um, the Knicks possibility with Mitchell, we know they value him. They blew it not taking him a couple years ago. Um, I think the Worldwide West has history with him. You could argue the Knicks are in a position of overpaying 
are probably the most likely overpayer just to get a star. They have no roadmap really to be interesting. Mitchell's the guy they could point to, they could put him on. RJ would have to be in that trade though. Which again, I, I don't, I don't understand the logic in that, right? Like, I guess you package RJ. I'm pretty sure Fournier would have to be in there to make some of the money work. But, like, what is that team? You're going sideways. I'm, what, I'm out what, on that trade, too. What is what is that team? Same thing with bringing Kyrie in there. You see the Kyrie report where it's like, well, the Lakers, the Knicks, and the Clippers want me. All right, cool. If you're the Knicks, you could probably move his, um move enough money and just sign him outright without a deal. But what are the Knicks with Kyrie Irving and... OB Toppin. I <laughs> like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I, I, the Knicks situation, it feels like they're in purgatory or limbo right now. If they could tell me they could, you know, they have a way of bringing in somebody with cap space, then swinging the trade for the Kyrie, for the um, Donovan Mitchell type, then okay, then I think we're cooking with gas here uh, to just, all right, we're bringing in Kyrie. Or we're bringing in Donovan Mitchell to basically play with this group. Yeah. To play next to Julius Randle or something. Like, I, I'm not understanding the logic there. Cool. What if there was a Gobert for eight and sign and trade? I mean, I think if you're <laughs> I think if you're Utah, that is the best of all worlds. That's their best case scenario, right? Yeah, and if you're Phoenix, you're gonna lose eight in anyway. You have this. Relatively brief window, at least to contend. Although they're probably going to think Chris is going to move into this new stage of his career, I'm guessing, where he's like 26, 27 minutes a game. But if they could turn Aiton into Gobert and sign a backup point guard for Chris and just kind of make a run the next two, three years, that would make sense to me. I just don't know if they'd spend the money. Man, Gobert's I expensive. Think, I, I think the defensive upgrade, because, you know, when we're talking about these guys, a lot of times we tend to think of them in a vacuum, but I think you need to think about the context. Gobert in Phoenix, like his offensive deficiencies are less accentuated by the presence of Chris Paul and um, Devin Booker. And I think Chris Paul has been obviously a much better playmaker, table setter, actually might give this guy the ball when he's wide open every now and again, unlike what was happening in in. in in, uh, in Utah, I, man, if I'm Rudy, I would be over the moon to go play with Phoenix um, in that situation. Because, again, his shortcomings on offense because become less of a problem because, one, they're going to be – they that that's dominance on defense right there. Um, him and Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson and, you know, uh, Jay Crowder, like that's, that's dominant defensively and they can figure out how to pick up the pieces on offense with the, the amount of shooting they can surround him with and the level of playmaking table setting that's around that would be incredible and I think Utah again that like you get a young guy and it's because it's signed a trade you're able to get him for some years and he slots right into Rudy's position um yeah that would be a perfect trade honestly I got one more I haven't seen this anywhere and I don't think it'll happen there's a pretty interesting Memphis match for them. Because hmm. Memphis is a classic. They have more than enough assets for a three-for-one, four-for-one, whatever. They have extra draft picks, I think, for the next couple of years. And they have Adams as an expiring. He's 17.9 next year. So that gets you halfway to the Gobert number. And then you can get creative after that. They're also, are they, yeah, they're under the cap too. So they could absorb some stuff too. But I was thinking the same point you just made about Phoenix's defense what if you just 
if they could figure out a way to keep their nucleus and put him next to Jaron Jackson with their wings that they have, that one I thought was intriguing too. And if you're Utah, you're basically getting out of the Gobert money. You're getting some picks, an ability to reset. The thing I keep coming back to is Ainge has shown a couple times now in his tenure as a GM that he, if he feels like you can't, I can't win a title with the team I have, I'm blowing it up. Hmm. He is one of the original blow it ups. Yeah. That's what he does. And I guarantee he's looking at this team going, we can't win a title with these two guys as our best two guys. You know, it's interesting because while Ainge might have that imperative, it's felt like Memphis has been very hesitant to jump the gun on any deals. They're right. kind of just like, we really believe in this young core. We think we can do it piece by piece. But wait a don't... second, though. Do you think after they watching Golden State win the title, how close they were in that series? That would make me rethink that. Because we were like, holy shit, if Ja doesn't get hurt, could we have beaten the team that won the title? Yeah, and but, you know, the thing about Rudy for them is that I think Jared Jackson, so far in his career, has been much better as a four than a five. Like, yeah. you look at it, like his foul rate, is like way higher whenever he has to play the five than when he's playing the four. So that's been his best position. However, I think Memphis cannot be unlocked until he masters the center position, right? Like, I just don't think offensively they're a dangerous enough team with him at the four and you bring Rudy to that five. Um, I just don't think they're a, they're a potent enough offense when, you know, your best guy, you got the one Supernova. We love John Morant. We think he's a superstar, difference maker, all of that stuff. I wonder if the Rudy fit might be a little bit too clunky with those guys. So, Waz, you're putting on on the Memphis Grizzlies built, uh, bulletin board. Waz thinks Jaron Jackson <laughs> needs to be able to handle the five for the Grizzlies to win. I think you're right. I mean, look yeah. at what we just watched. It was Draymond and Looney were the centers on a team that won the title. There's and no reason you shouldn't be able to bang bodies with those guys. Yeah. You know, or even or even the Time Lord. It's like it, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to play center efficiently against those guys defensively. Um, and, you know, he has his moments where he's spacing out and actually making his shots. Uh, I'm, I'm dubious that he'll ever develop a, a potent one-on-one scoring efficiently, you know, sort of drawing fouls and, yeah. you know, getting great shots or generating help and getting it out to shooters and guys attacking closeouts. I don't know that he'll ever be that type of guy, but I feel like short of them bringing in a second, you know, bona fide star, I, I think he has to become that for them to take that next step. Hmm. I wonder how many teams are going to overreact to go- the gold State thing. That's going to be one of the lessons we have this week. All right, last question, then we're going. 10-second answer. Does Utah make a trade this week? Yes. I think they I do, think, too. I think they they, they 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 just can't bring back the group. They they it's too toxic. It's 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 almost it's not as bad as I mean, I think it's way worse. Actually, I think it's way worse than Phoenix. Like the eight in and thing yeah. situation. Um, in the sense that like you've beaten your head over 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 on the how you banged your head on the desk <laughs> over and over again um with this group. Whereas Phoenix could be like, yo, bring it back. We went to the finals, we did this, let's be kumbaya. There's yeah. a way that you could say that. There's no justification for bringing this group back again. I'm sorry we left you off the uh 
hard to kill rewatchables. But oh, next time, my goodness. next time we do Seagal, <laughs> you'll be one of the Please first calls. Bring me on. Thank By the way, you. there's there's a lot of above the rim rumors right now at the rewatchables. Like there's a lot. There's I don't know that Shams Wait, reported you something. Guys, you guys have never done we, above we the rim. We haven't done it yet. Wow. Yeah, there's oh, rumors. My goodness. There's there's lots of rumors right now. Uh, I know Waz, that's going to be a knife fight to get on that show. <laughs> Waz, great to see you as always. Thanks, man. All right, that's it for part one. Don't forget part two coming as well of the special two-part extravaganza heading toward Thursday night. Part one was produced by Kyle Creighton. Thanks to Dylan Berkey and Steve Cerruti as well. Thanks to the Kevins. Thanks to Raheem. Thanks to JJ. And thanks to Waz. See you in part two. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their wood barrel bourbon bar soap and lotion or their bay rum deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout.